Well, welcome to How Did It Come To This, where the news is current and our history is better late than never. <laughs> Sitting next to me is a woman who is so busy that she needs a personal assistant. It's Siobhan Doherty. A cleaner would be nice too, please. Mm. <laughs> Hi. And across from us, it's a man who's been begging us to record a new episode secretly. I think it's because he's in it for the fame and fortune. It's James Tuckwell. Hi, James. <laughs> Uh, and I am Daniel Matters. I'll share my cleaner and personal assistant with you. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. Um, yeah. And then we will be able to record this semi-regularly. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. To how we've been doing it. Oh, <laughs> my Six goodness. Monthly? I oh. And um, I'm, I'm really, really sorry to all. Like, yeah. uh, we actually do have fans because I know, people, I know, people have so been excited. like, Daniel, <laughs> when is the new episode coming out? Oh my goodness. Like you left me hanging on episode two of a three-parter and the, I'm like, oh, sorry oh, guys. We apologize profusely. Very much so. But we will kick on. Let's go. Okay. <clears throat> this week, part three of our coverage of the war in Ukraine and Vladimir Putin, former KGB operative turned political mastermind. Since early in his life, Putin has sought to take control. From the end of the Cold War to the start of Putin's hot war, from collapse to creating a resource-rich powerhouse, how has Putin's grip on Eastern Europe changed? How did Ukraine survive in the post-Cold War years? What does Putin want? What does Ukraine want? Has NATO made things worse? And Why has it taken so long for us to record this episode? Ultimately... How did it come to this? Great intro. Thank you. I guess you've had time to prepare it. I, well, <laughs> you did this. Okay, you did this two minutes before, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, no. Let's let's put this into perspective. Okay. We decided we were going to record this episode a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And so I wrote. You wrote. It I then? wrote the intro. I yeah. did everything. I, yeah. I got everything organized. Yeah. And then we didn't. And then I think I I was sick, wasn't I? I think the lot like we had a date scheduled in, but yeah. then I was I went home from school well, early this, and everything. This term at school has mm. been the term for sickness. Yep. Um, well, across the world, I've, really. I've been <laughs> i I've been doing um I've been doing the the relieving admin job, which is yeah, I'm the dude who gets the casuals to come in. Yeah. Um, and it seems like every second day someone calls me and goes, Daniel, I've got COVID. <laughs> and you're like, no. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and so it's just been it's it's been really difficult been to find busy. the time to, to yeah. record. It's yeah. been crazy, absolutely yes. nuts. Yep, um, yep, yep. but I hope everyone is doing well out there in uh podcast land yeah um and hope everyone's enjoying their holidays because that's how we've managed to do this yes (laughs) um so our article for this week um things have things have escalated um immensely since last we spoke i think the last time we spoke we were talking about how ukraine were you know unlikely kind of yeah the underdogs holding out you know things are looking you know looking good pretty good for ukraine but then Mm. i think i also might have mentioned that um, most of the 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 you know political pundits at the time were like, oh, eventually Russia's just going to overwhelm Ukraine, and yeah, like I mean, and, and since then Putin had started like Russia had started making some gains, and there was all sorts yeah. of things going on. But <laughs> in the last week or two, um, things have gone a bit nuts. So uh, this is from the Guardian. Uh, it's an article. Uh, uh, headlined Putin announces partial mobilization and threatens nuclear retaliation in escalation of Ukraine war. Vladimir Putin has announced a partial mobilization in Russia in a significant escalation that places the country's people and economy on a wartime footing. The president also threatened nuclear retaliation saying that Russia had lots of weapons to reply to what he called Western threats on Russian territory and added that he was not bluffing. 
In a highly anticipated televised address, Putin said that Russia's uh, first mobilization since the Second World War was a direct response to the dangers posed by the West, which wants to destroy our country and claimed the West had tried to turn Ukraine's people into cannon fodder. Military service will apply only to citizens uh, who are currently in the reserve, especially those who have served in the armed forces, have certain military professions and relevant experience, he said. Shortly after Putin's announcement, the country's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, uh, Shoigu, that's really hard to say, uh, said 300,000 Russians would be called up as part of the mobilization that will apply to those with previous military experience. Which it seems is just complete rubbish because if you watch uh, the news and anyone who has fled and lots of people are currently fleeing Russia, um, people got called up who's like, it's like I'm an IT guy and I've never been in the military and here's my call up. Like, um, So it seems to be complete rubbish. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, I think, um, a lot of people are talking about, uh, it's a way for Putin to, um, flex go, his he, he, well, he never, yeah. like a lot of people were like, he's, he's never going to do a mobilization because that's mm. political suicide for him. Mm. Right. Because then you actually are involving regular yeah. Russian people yeah. who may or may not agree with him. Yeah. Right. And that's dangerous politically for him. So yeah. most people are like, he's never going to do a mobilization. Right. Right. And I think with this idea of a partial mobilization that on the face of it is for only people who have ever served in the military mm. on the face of it mm. um, means that he can say, well, it's just, you know, mm. it's, it's only people who have served in the military for, it's yeah. not, well, I'm not, I'm not doing a general, yeah. you know, mobilization. So in that way he can kind of still keep it that special military yes. operation without being like, it's a full blown war, everyone. Yeah. Um, they're still not allowed to say the word war, right? No, they're still not. Not a war, it's still even though you're war. mobilizing your population. Even though he's mobilizing, okay. uh, and even um, though they, they're also they're also doing some uh, total war kind of kind of things as well um, with the economy. With the economy, like yeah. what have you read? Uh, like they're they're looking at um, like yeah, gearing things towards manufacturing because yeah. I was saying to James this the other day that um, they're actually they're running out of weapons. Mm. Um, because of the sanctions. That's a classic Russian thing though. Um, <laughs> well, because because of the sanctions, they're running out of, um, they can't get a hold of any microchips. Okay. Um, Those things are hard to come by anyway because of the pandemic. Well, <laughs> right? kind of. I mean, military spending on microchips is, you know, they're the first people to get them essentially. Like they're not right. going to go into the open market before you sell them to an army because that's, if that's the lucrative deal. Like you mean deal. if you're, you're making them yourself. Yeah, that's the lucrative deal. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but um, yeah, they can't get they can't get market troops. They're down to. The, I heard the other day they're down to their last fifty missiles, oh. um, which is pretty ridiculous. No, <laughs> well, I mean for them, no. no. Well, I mean yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go Ukraine. Um, um, yeah, it's uh, okay. So, so is is this the move of a desperate man? Um, again. I hate speculation on this podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like it. I love it. Let's speculate. I do. Wildly. I do. Look, secretly, I really enjoy speculation, mm. but I feel like we're a history podcast. I don't like it. But anyway, that's okay. I No, I do. I do think it feels like that. It, I mean, we can look at it in terms of historical context. Like Historically, in the past, yes. When, <laughs> when leaders have made decisions yeah, like definitely, this, it, it definitely looks feels like, like it. something someone does when they don't have many other options left to them. It does definitely have that. And he still doesn't want to press the button yet, which we're all very grateful for. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, because he also knows too, if he pushes the button completely, mm. um, that risks 
NATO a intervention for nuclear war for well, some of the kids that might be listening. <laughs> well, yeah, um, but like if he pushes the button even on just like a general mobilization, yeah, yeah, that risks bringing NATO in, mm. which you don't want to do that. He doesn't want to do that. No, um, and yeah, uh, pushing the button on the nukes though, I, I still don't think he's going to do that. We really hope not. Um, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Okay. That's real speculation, that one. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't even push you there. <laughs> uh, but th- anyway, the focus of this episode is going to be from uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union up until um, invasion. Yes. Um, yes. So let's get started on that. Okay. Uh, uh, let's go back in time, shall we? Let's. Um, where are we going to? Well. Ooh, where well, are we going to? That's a, that's a good question. So, like, I uh, my... I think I've probably got the earliest date here because okay, so let's let's explain because okay, yes. I'm going to be doing a little bit more on Putin. The You're going to be doing a little the bit man, more. The man, the myth, the legend. Yeah. because that's that's where Daniel's that's that's where my interests lie. Yes, <laughs> great, the great man of history. Um, <laughs> when you put it like that, it sounds so white man. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh. um, I'm sure he could talk about a woman if he wanted to. You could talk about a woman. Of course, I could. <laughs> Although then I would also feel like I'm mansplaining. <laughs> You can't win. I can't win. I can't win. I feel a little bit sorry for you. You should don't feel sorry for me. I'm a white man. Don't worry about it. Um, so um, yes, and I was going to sort of look at just like Russia and and Ukraine in kind of the biggest scheme of things. Yes, yeah. yeah so uh, uh, we're going to go back to 1952. Oh, okay. <laughs> His birth, I imagine. Yeah. Um, but to take us there, I've got a special song. Oh, Are you ready? I'm so excited. Okay, here we go. Мою лузі червона калина похилилася, чогось наша славна Україна зажурилася, а ми твою червону so I'm taking us back to 1952 because that is when Vladimir Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. Don't you love a man that has the same name twice? twice? Um, the baby's so good, they named him twice. Yeah, that's right. Um, born on the 7th of October in 1952. Oh, does that mean he's a Libran like us? He is, unfortunately. Oh, he just throws all of those characteristics out of the water. He's, yeah. he's, he's, anyway, not, he's not balanced. Yes, because we all know that um, horoscopes are so true. Oh, I believe in that. <laughs> <laughs> I like them. Um, so... Um, look, I think I, I actually think his birth date is a crucial detail in understanding the man. Because, because of horoscopes? No, <laughs> no, not because of horoscopes. Because of the time of history that it is, right? So he's okay. born. He's a baby boomer. He's a boomer. He's of a boomer, he right? Um, which, in a Russian context too, though, puts him square in the like. Um, so he's. He's square in that moment where mm. Russia is a, a world power, Superpower, um, yeah. and height of Stalinistic communism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the he, he grows up in an era where everyone 
fears the KGB. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is geared towards uh, a um, a Russian state that is, you know, all dominating in every mm-hmm. sense of the term, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important because from early on in his childhood, Putin wants to be a KGB officer. Yes, yes. Right. When so he was in kindy, it's like, what are you going to be when you grow up, little Vladdy? <laughs> a KGB I operative. want to be in the KGB. <laughs> Did he sound like that when he was five? That was him when he was five, <laughs> riding on a horse, shirtless. If you haven't seen, if you haven't Probably seen, true. if you haven't seen Vladimir Putin on a shirt, on a on a horse, riding shirtless on a horse, uh, you're very um, Google it because um, there's there's many. Um, Appropriations. Many appropriations, <laughs> many memes that have come from that. Oh, that crocodile thing one's pretty good. Yeah, so if <laughs> James you look at is, James is doing it for if us. You right it up, <laughs> if you look it up, if you look it up, there's versions of him riding sharks and velociraptors and, and all sorts of things. But anyway, um, there's there's a there's a story, we're not sure how true it is, but there's a story yes. that where he is in high school mm. and he goes to the local KGB office mm. and he is like I want to work for the KGB. Mm. And the, the guy is like, bro, you're too young. You yeah. can't work for the KGB. Yeah. And he's like, well, what do I, what do I have to do yeah. to work for the KGB? Try me. And, yeah. um, and they said, well, go study to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that'll be, that'll be useful be for the, for the KGB yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, then come back and see us. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Um, he goes and studies law. Yeah. Um, and, he studies law at St. Petersburg University and a lot of people also talk about his youth in St. Petersburg being really formative as well. Yeah. Um, well, I was listening to The Rest is History, yes. one of our favourites. Yes. Um, and they were saying, like, if you want to get into the mind of a man, and that's exactly how they said it, um, you need to sort of look at him and how he was growing up in his 20s. Yes. So, like, in his 20s, he was um, – it was the 70s. Soviet Union and so it was a, um, they, they were sort of saying the 70s Soviet Union was not a time of like huge um, like idealistic communist values but it was very stable sort of time and Soviet Union was kind of like at the height or, or like getting to be there at yeah. the height of its power yeah. um, and um, that's sort of that's their Putin's formative years yeah that's right mm. um, and so when he is at um when he's at the university studying law, he he um, does a thesis on um, a it's like a th- I guess it's a theory of international business law. Okay, um, but it's called the most favored nation trading principle. Yep. Okay, so the idea of it is um, that there is a status or a level of treatment that's given to one particular state. Um, that uh, means that it is a recipient of more favourable conditions because of who it is, yeah. Well, essentially, I mean, and it's the most favoured nation. So, yeah. um, uh, and in effect, it it basically, um, like it looks at how that that nation, um, as the most favoured nation, then gets to dictate a lot of what's going on in the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Britain was very good at that. <laughs> well, that's how we teach the kids, right? Yeah, it's that's, like all the yes. treaties they force people to sign, they give themselves yes. most favoured yes. nation status. Um, <laughs> and there is, yeah, so there, yeah, so sorry, thanks, James, for getting that up for me. Um, but yeah, it's a, um, 
it often comes up between in, in like a, a bilateral relationship, mm. which one is the most favoured nation in that bilateral relationship. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think Putin himself um, learns during this time period um, kind of an idea of what he thinks um, international relations for a Russian state should be. Mm. Um, which is they should be the one dom- – the, they should be the most favoured nation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. he, I mean, like yeah. every nationalistic of course young they, man they feel thinks that. that, don't they? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and he also studied under a guy called Anatoly Sobchak who um, – was the co-author of uh, the Russian Constitution um, mm. after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and he also um, he also looked at um, like corruption schemes in France. Right. Um, to, to learn how to do corruption, or <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not sure. I just know that he he definitely. I think he wrote a book about corruption right, in France. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Look at these capitalist <laughs> Western corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, he gets a PhD. Cool. Dr. Um, Putin. Dr. Putin um, in economics. Yep. Um, which makes me kind of sad because my favourite fictional president from the West Wing <laughs> has, has a PhD in economics. Jed Bartlett. And it's like... You know, it's so <laughs> funny that you... Were, Mention that because, like, last night you're getting an insight into Siobhan's weird musings. Sure. But I was like, what would Jed do if he was like in this situation right now? I'm like, how would he handle this whole thing? You know, you know what would happen? There'd be, there'd be like some sort of neat little turn at the end of the episode mm. where he has something. Like a little card to play. Like a little card all, that pulls it all together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Russia back down, but quietly, they don't lose face. So yeah. they're not um, bitter. Yeah, he would he would manage to wins. Yeah, he would manage to make it so that yeah. 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 And Toby would write a great speech and yeah. CJ would do an awesome press release. That's and right. Everyone would be happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the West Wing. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> we digress. We do. Um but then so in nineteen seventy five Putin achieves his young young boy dream of mm-hmm. joining the KGB. Mm-hmm. Um, he trains in Leningrad um, and works for the second chief directorate of counterintelligence mm-hmm. uh, before he th- is then transferred to the first chief directorate where he monitors foreigners and consular officials in Leningrad. Right. Um, and then uh, he, he goes to Moscow um, to, uh, to train... Uh, at the the Yuri Andropov Red Banner Institute, mm-hmm. um, and he is a bas- he basically becomes one of the I guess it, most people say he's like a mid range yeah KGB operative he's not running it or anything but yeah no no he's yeah. he's he he does all right yeah he does all right for himself mm-hmm. um, he he seems to know what he's doing mm-hmm. um, as far as we can tell yeah um, he is just a kind of middling kind of dude in yeah. the KGB. Yeah. Um, and he then goes, 1985 to 1990, he goes to Dresden. Yes. Yeah. I knew that. Um, and uh, he is undercover as a translator. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, what languages? I'm assuming German. 
The German sense? to Russian. That makes sense, right? I'm assuming. <laughs> That's my assumption. I okay. didn't actually read that. I, didn't, I didn't Yeah, I wonder what languages that. Putin speaks. Yeah. Well, he must speak some then. Mm. But yeah. like, because yeah, translating is hard. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to be pretty good. <laughs> well, i got to wonder too, like when you're undercover like that, how good do you need to be? I wonder. I, like, at I your mean, cover. I think you would have to be really good because if you if you slipped up, people would, especially like in the 80s in Germany, mm. people are going to ask some questions. Probably. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. I'm impressed. Yeah. Vladimir. Um, and he is there. So he's in Dresden when um, the Soviet Union yes. comes to an end. Yes. Yeah. So I was um, like when I was doing my research on this, he was kind of watching it all from afar yeah. and was devastated. He yes. thinks that the collapse of the Soviet Union is the greatest single um, catastrophe to happen, I think not even to Russia, like just globally. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where his mindset is at. Yes. Um. Let's pause for a little Siobhan fun fact. Hey. Fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. With Siobhan. And I'm turning this one into a bit of a game as well. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So according to Vladimir Putin, Russian history has produced two exceptional leaders and two terrible leaders. Okay. Name them. Okay. I know he has great admiration for Stalin. Yes. He is one of them. Okay. Is the other one a czar of some sort? It is, yes. <sighs> now you're going back in history. Is it Peter the Great? It is. Oh, I'm so impressed. Yes, Peter Thank the Great you. and Thank Stalin are uh, Russia's two, f- I reckon in his head too, he's like, and me. Um, <laughs> but they're the two great ones. Okay, who are the two terrible ones? Oh. <sighs> I don't know. Considering the event that we I'm just mentioned. To, well, okay, so is Gorbachev Gorbachev, one? yeah. Okay, so Gorbachev's yeah. one. Yeah. Is the other one a czar? Yes, it oh, is. Okay. <laughs> is it... Is it Alexander? No. No, okay. Oh, you mean with like uh, the uh, freedom of the serfs? Yeah. That, yeah, I see where you're going with okay. that. Okay, no. Nicholas? Yes, okay. Nicholas, Nicholas II. II. Yes, yeah, okay. yes. Good job. I'm impressed. Well Thank done. You. <laughs> so yeah, like that's kind of how he uh, perceives Russian history. Like I thought that that's very insightful into it, who it he is. is. Whereas it like is. Gorbachev really idolized Lenin. Yeah. And wanted to go back to he's like we took a wrong turn. Stalin was terrible. Yeah. This is not what communism's supposed to be. We need to go back to Lenin mm. Leninist mm-hmm. ideals and mm-hmm. w- which require more freedom, more democracy, yeah. more of this, more of that. Um, which is funny when you like cuz you know like we teach this. Yes. Right. And I often talk to the kids about, you know, when Stalin comes to power, it's really a a transfer back to monarchy. Mm. Like it's really yeah. a transfer back to yeah. Like Nicholas arose, II. Arose by any other Which is name. funny. So yeah. he thinks Nicholas II is the worst. Yeah. And Stalin's really great. Yeah. But in essence, they were really similar in the sense that yeah. like they were. They both wanted complete They both wanted complete. Hold of yeah. Power. And they were both grasping yeah. to hold onto it. Yeah. You know, yeah. in different ways, but like. With varying degrees of success. Yeah. 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 Um, it is. That is interesting. Yep. Yeah. Oh, James. So James did fact check. Uh, Putin's second language is German. Uh, he frequently uses when he travels to German speaking countries. How okay. many, how many German-speaking countries are there? It's a couple in Africa. Germany. <laughs> or the, uh, not anymore. So. Austria. Uh, <laughs> can't think of any more. They were so late to the imperialist game, they missed out. Um, Papua New Guinea. <laughs> I don't, they don't really speak German, do they? No. Uh, well, there you go. 
um, yeah. So um, that's interesting. No, that's, oh, that, Do you like that, that? That was that was good. Thanks. That was good. Um, so then from 1990 onwards. Oh, okay. Germany, <laughs> Austria, Belgium, and Luxembourg. And, and in Switzerland, 42, Liechtenstein. 42 countries around the world. Who knew? There you go. Who knew? 42. That's actually that's more than lot. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Not as useful as French though, is it? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um, okay. So, so in, uh, in 1990, uh, so Putin comes back to um, St. Petersburg um, and he's appointed uh, an advisor on international affairs to the mayor of Leningrad, mm-hmm. who is... Anatoly Sobchak, his former teacher. <laughs> yes. So obviously, um, th- and and they call this a special relationship between the two because they both help each other. Yeah. Go places essentially. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. So he he goes to St. Petersburg, becomes part of this um, political administration, mm. where I think he probably finds that he is quite good at political wranglings, I guess. And he this might a be political animal, isn't he? I suppose this might be where his admiration of Stalin also a helps him animal. out. Yeah. Because I think People the two of them yeah. the two of them work in similar ways in the sense mm. that he was before he becomes president, yeah. he's very much a backroom dealer yeah. who has, has large large support in the places where he needs it. Yeah. But which people don't really see and value um when they're looking at the the political game, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's exactly what, uh, with, um, uh, Stalin's control of the, the, um, what was the bureau? Yeah. The Politburo. Politburo. Yeah. Um, which people were just like, that's just the paperwork. Like who cares? But yeah. then <laughs> when it came down to it, it was incredibly, uh, crucial to his, um, accession to power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So cool. All right. Um, and then he, he has a couple of other jobs in the, in the St. Petersburg administration, mm-hmm. um, which is, I, I guess, essentially almost like a state we government. It, we call it St. Petersburg again now. Is that? Um, it's, is it? it was still St. Petersburg. Uh, yeah. Cause Leningrad. And it was Leningrad. It becomes St. Petersburg post fall. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. yes. That's what happens. Yes. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the same thing. Uh, like, it gets yeah, so yeah, yeah. confusing. <laughs> um, and he also, um, he becomes the deputy chairman of the government in St. Petersburg in 1994. 19, yes. Okay. Um, and so he's managing a bunch of things going on yeah. um, in St. Petersburg for, yeah. for those couple of years there. Yeah. Um, do you want to press – yeah, like let's press pause on yeah. that because yep. the stuff that I've got is – Is around that is, time. Yeah, and, and just a little bit before. Yeah, go so, for it. Um, so I did a lot of research into um, Yeltsin – Mm. And um, Yeltsin, so he was the first president of uh, the Russian Federation yes. from 1991 to 1999. Yes. Um, and so he succeeded Gorbachev. Gorbachev yes. resigned. Um, and that's what sort of um, marks the end of the Soviet Union. Yeah, yep. Um, so um, it's funny how sometimes we look at uh, the extent to which individuals have an impact on history and whether it's an in, like an decisions and actions of an individual or if there are bigger sort of forces at work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my favourite people from the rest is history uh, contend that uh, it 
there aren't many other examples in history where individuals have played such a significant role as Gorbachev and Yeltsin because they hated each other like yeah. viscerally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so a lot of the decisions that Yeltsin made in this time period was really just to bring Gorbachev down. Um, right. and, and what happened was, was you know, the fall of the Soviet Union and the creation of the Russian Federation um, and the creation of lots of independent states that were former Soviet Union. Yeah. And, and this is kind of where we are. Um, so it all comes from, and this is not a fun fact because you can't really call it a fun fact, um, but interesting. Like, did you know that Yeltsin attempted suicide? Oh, no, I did not know that. Yep. Um, so he attempted suicide in 1987 by stabbing scissors into his chest. Oh, that's not a fun way to do no. it. <laughs> not that there is, but no, like. yeah, like, oh, yeah. You must be in a pretty dark place when uh, that's that's what you're that's, doing. Wow. Um, but it was right before a key meeting and it was in response to the way that Gorbachev had been treating him. Um, so he, he nearly died. I think he, they, yeah, uh, yeah he, well, he no doubt. came You'd very, very close. in your chest. That's going to be yeah. not good um, for you. Yeah, like was, was basically brought back to life um, and was in hospital recovering and Gorbachev um, – summoned him to this meeting made him came, come to this meeting and and humiliated him in front of the whole like bureau wow. um i forget like it's so complex the ins and outs of it yeah um, yeah but like that is where the hatred <laughs> sort of right. like there was already tension well, yeah there was like you know there was already problems with the relationship but that action there which to me seems not very gorbachevy because we we tend to look at him with rose-coloured glasses, I would say, mm. in the West because he was the one who made all these great decisions. Um, so we have just been fact-checked. Uh, so, yes, ordered the injured Yeltsin from his hospital bed to the Moscow party plenum. Two days later, he was ritual ritually denounced by the party faithful in what was reminiscent of a Stalinist show trial before he was fired from the post of first secretary of the Moscow Communist Party. Yeltsin said he would never forgive Gorbachev for this immoral and inhuman treatment. So. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. So really, like, they they kind of trace this back to how 1991 went down. Yeah. And it has a direct link with Ukraine. Um, so um, when sort of it is, you know, we've got the fall of the Berlin Wall mm. and then other mm -hmm. states, satellite states are sort of starting to pull apart and um, – uh, I think Yeltsin was a populist. Yes. Um, and so he, he, I think, kind of was under the – had the idea that, you know, as long as Russia is still Russia, we mm -hmm. don't necessarily need all of these satellite states. Yep. Um, yep. Gorbachev was kind of like, you know, it would be great if we could keep them, but he didn't want to use force to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so Ukraine was like, we want to be um, independent. And Yeltsin was like – yeah, okay, this is going to make Gorbachev look bad. And apparently at the time, a bunch of people were like, what about Crimea? What about Donbass? What about like all, and all of these areas that are being fought over now? And Yeltsin was like, ah, oh, you know, oh, we'll figure it out later. Or And apparently there was a meeting and lots of alcohol was had. Right, sure. Um, and it was just like Ukrainian independence uh, without any sort of consideration of yeah. these incredibly complex areas and details. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how – and then so he, he was the first president. Um, during his presidency, we have the two Chechen wars. Yes. Uh, we have the rise of the oligarchs because he, with his sort of populist ideals, um, 
was he sort of was bringing more capitalist ideas yep, into yep. into Russia and yeah. and saw the rise of power, influence, and wealth of all of these oligarchs. Yeah, yeah. Who were now supporting Putin because Yeltsin was the one who brought Putin into power. Did you want to talk about that a little bit more? Or? Well, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so Putin, um, at the end of his time in St. Petersburg, he was the um, campaign manager for mm. Sobchak. Uh, Sob- uh, yeah, I've lost his name. <laughs> Is a Sobchak. Uh, Sob- Sobchak. Anatoly Sobchak. Yes. Um, and he loses um, the 96 mm. election mm-hmm. in St. Petersburg. Uh, so Putin resigns um, as his campaign right. manager yeah. and, and resigns from his post in the, in the administration mm-hmm. uh, and moves to Moscow mm-hmm. um, where he works for the Presidential Property Management Depart- Department. Mm-hmm. Um, and... He was responsible for the foreign property of the state, so like Russian embassies and, right. and you know other yeah. things like that, yeah. um, and also organizing the transfer of former assets of the Soviet Union yeah. to the Russian Federation and like all that kind of stuff that was going on. Mm. Uh, and then in '97, Yeltsin appoints Putin deputy chief of presidential staff, mm. um, where he stays until 1998, and which um, as he's in, in that post, a lot of people talk about how this, this is the posting where he starts to use his connections. Yeah. Um, and, and this is where, you know, related to the oligarchs, you know, mm. he um, – a lot of people talk about how when he eventually does run for election, um, he is everyone – everything to everyone, right? So he's a real populist leader, right? Yes. Um, and – um, you know, um, I was listening to, and if you if you want a really good podcast series to listen to yeah. on Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, there's uh, from Axios, um, How It Happened. It's called How It Happened. Okay. Season four of How It Happened is all about yeah. um, Ukraine. Uh, yeah. And they were talking, Jonathan Swan was, was on it, and he was mm-hmm. talking about um, when he, um, y- y- the, the idea of... Um, the, the oligarchs, um, you know, Putin was the guy that was going to bring business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, but then to everyday people, Putin was the guy that was going to be um, stability. And, yeah. and um, you know, he was real, like, um, he was just like them. And then to the KGB or the former KGB, mm. what was now going to be the FSB, mm. he was one of them. Yeah. And he was going to re- restore... That. Yeah. Soviet pride. Dare we say um, make Russia great again? Make Russia great again. Yeah. Um, and to international players too, um, everyone saw him as like a straight talking guy who was going to be someone if, you know, maybe maybe they weren't going to be friends, mm. but they could at least do business with him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so he had this real, um, in, in his early years, mm. charisma. I was going to say he must – even now, still be an incredi- incredibly charismatic person yeah. um, to have been in power for as long as he is and, and retain the support that you need to be able to pull something like that off, as well as, uh, like, not not con the West, but, you know, um, maintain, you know, diplomatic relations with the West for as long as he did. Um, there's yeah. A, there's a, an inter- – like, he stayed at um, – What's his name? Uh, Junior, the president. <laughs> Why did I not know the president of the America of the United States? Um, when George W. Bush. George Bush. Okay. Not not the junior one, the senior one. Senior. He went, he George went Bush. To, went to the yeah George Bush. That was yep. the name I was after. Yep. <laughs> that was just a mental blank, guys. I do know who. <laughs> <Bush is>. um, <laughs> 
he went to George Bush's ranch yes. in Texas. Yeah. Like that's that speaks volumes to me about how yeah. charismatic I, he I've, must be. I've got some more things to say about his career okay. a little yeah. bit later. All right, um, but go. so so during this time period, so he he also is made the the chief of the FSB, mm-hmm. which is what the KGB becomes. Yeah. Um he is appointed the first deputy chief of the presidential staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's all sorts of like promotions that he gets mm. during this time. Yeltsin obviously likes what he sees in Putin yeah. as a political motivator. Yeah. Um, and the things that he can do can work well for together. Him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in 1999, he's appointed one of three first deputy prime ministers Mm. um, and then later that day is appointed acting prime minister. Mm. And that kind of coincides with Yeltsin's like fall from grace. So he was an incredibly popular leader when he was first elected in 1991. But by 1999, um, he was uh, controversial and highly unpopular, I think due to the the wars in Chechnya. Chechnya. Um, He was also accused of economic mismanagement um, and overseeing huge growth in inequality and corruption. So, yeah. yeah. And and so there's a, a, like, before, because I didn't look at this completely, but before Putin gets made prime minister, there's like a string of prime ministerships. Oh, really? Yeah. I think um, there's something like, Something, oh, I had the number here. I suppose between 99 and – because, yeah, you said – if you It was just, the, fifth, you, the fifth prime minister in fewer than 18 months. Mm, if you look it up, the presidents of Russia, you just have Boris Yeltsin, Putin, Dmitry Medvedev, then Putin. So it's like they're not n- not worthy of note. But, uh, cause, but yeah, it well, is from so 1999 and then Putin comes if, to power in 2000. So if you're talking – so the, the Russian Federation government too is set yeah. up – like the, the terms you, you hear – are probably not terms that you think about in the same way right. that you might think about in the West, right? So, right. well, I mean, president, yes. So the president is the guy in charge, the head of yeah. state, um, and will act uh, on advice of their government. Then the government uh, yeah. is led by the prime minister. Yeah. Um, but the prime minister is really in a more of an advisory role to the president. Yeah. Um, you know, he's what we all think kind of deal, mm. um, you know, as the – Ministers of the president's cabinet, I guess you yeah, know, like right. the, the 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 head of the the president's cabinet. Mm. Um, I think, like anything, when it comes to Russia, when we're teaching Russia, when I listen to podcasts about Russia, it's mm. like there's always this, um, like this is incredibly complex. This is how it yeah. starts off. Is yeah. This is incredibly yeah, complex, right. and we're going to try to talk about it, but yep. <laughs> just be aware. Yeah, <laughs> I yep. think it's one of those. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. So then uh, he. He's yeah, prime minister for for a, a few years, um, and then uh, Yeltsin resigns. Yep. Uh, in 1999, mm-hmm. apparently unexpectedly. So I read. Is that? Yeah, is I that mean, I, I didn't. Yes, I didn't look into it too much. Um, I just was like, okay, moving on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you could get bogged down in detail, or you could just keep it light and breezy. Um. So the constitution, um. Then states because because Yeltsin resigns, mm. um, Putin becomes acting president. Yes, as prime minister, right? Yeah. Um, and then um, and then he goes um on a scheduled trip to visit Russian troops in Chechnya. Mm-hmm. Um, and he then writes his first presidential decree on the thirty first of December nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. It was titled "On Guarantees of the Former President of the Russian Federation and the Members of His Family," um, which uh talked about ensuring that corruption charges against the outgoing president and his relatives would not be pursued. 
Yeah, there you go. I will sign that document. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And also, uh, he was under criminal investigation for corruption himself when he was part of the St. Petersburg city government. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, mysteriously, those charges were dropped. Um, Why that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, then he, he uh, runs for election uh, in 2000. Yep. Uh, and Putin wins the first round with 53% of the vote. So, um, you know, not a not super landslide, majority. but yeah, it's a majority. Uh, and uh, yeah, made made president on the 7th of May 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so begins the Russian term of... <laughs> the Putin years. <laughs> the Putin years. <laughs> um, which uh, there are... I mean, when I'm thinking about... If I think about Russia, he's, he's one of those leaders now that like, you know it's pretty much all of my lifetime almost like yeah. in, in reality, you know, well, like, I mean, for as long as 20, I've been aware of this sort of stuff, 22 like, years that he's been president yes. now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, fr- from a time frame in which I would, yeah, mm. be, be interested and in aware. Interested and engaged you know, with what's going on. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's all I know. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he, he oversees, um, a number of, a number of things, uh, during, uh, his time as president. But the, the thing that I think is probably the most interesting for us is that um, when he begins, like I said, he's, you know, he's populist. Mm. One of the things that he does, um, so Clinton Clinton comes to visit um, Moscow, Moscow mm-hmm. and he goes on radio, mm-hmm. like public radio, mm-hmm. and takes questions from Russians. Mm-hmm. And so Putin decides, I'm going to go to America and I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, And he does. He goes on NPR. Yeah. Um, in, oh, in um, America yeah. and he answers questions from America. Like yeah. like people ring up and like ask him questions. It's crazy. Wow. If you listen to the audio, it sounds, it's very like, I, I was like, oh, like, like cringe. Little cringe. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, Bad audio quality really sets Daniel on edge. <laughs> but but um, yeah, like the, the fact that he was trying to yeah. please an international audience yeah. as well, yeah. um, which changes, it changes really quickly though. When? Right. What's so, the changing point? What's so, um, so he, in his second term, mm. he becomes like a lot more comfortable with yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Um, it's like 2004 to 2008. 2004 to 2008. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, a lot of American ambassadors at this time mm. have talked about how, you know, they would hear, um, they would hear him talk about uh, conspiracies um, on the in the media about you know the the West is out to get us yeah you know like things that were happening um, uh, a Western conspiracy and, and you know and, yeah. and the, the ambassadors would be like oh, well, it's just that's posturing you know okay it's yeah he doesn't believe it he's yeah. just making a noise in front of his people it's to all make good him look good mm. and then they would go to meetings mm. with him mm. and he'd say the same things right um, and that's when people started to be like oh. Maybe he's not. <laughs> maybe he's a bit more dangerous than, than we what thought. we thought. Mm. Um, okay. And yeah, I, I read I read a lot of things saying that you know he because during during this time is when he starts to to really come out against opposing views. Okay. Um, so he's sort so of starting to crack down, starting on to crack down on, on opposition. Civil liberties. Yeah. Um, he cracks down on 
some some uh, protests and demonstrations mm-hmm. against different different things that are going on at the time. Yeah. Um, he then. Um, I think probably the big red flag for a lot of people um, yeah. happened at the end of – so it was like uh, there was a term limit. There's a term limit for president in Russia. Yeah. Two terms. Yeah. And you're, you're done. done. Right. Yeah. Um, so what he does is in 2008 he gets his his mate who is really um, – uh, people Med- call Medvedev? him – Yeah, so yeah, this yeah. is Dmit- Dmitry Medvedev. Yeah. Uh, and people call him like – He's a doormat, essentially. That's, that's right? definitely, yeah, the um, perception that I got when I was reading about him. Like, <laughs> when you when you hear about puppet regimes, yes, he was, was an absolute puppet. Yeah. He just, w- he... Well, he he was a liberal. Like, people were surprised when Putin endorsed him. Yeah. Um, because he was liberal and, um, like, almost the complete opposite yep. of Putin. It's like, well, why would you do that? Unless you knew you could control him, yeah. So, um, so what he does is he's like, okay, so Medvedev, I'll support him to become president, mm. um, and I'll become prime I'll minister. I'll be his PM, yeah, right, yeah. Um, so he does that. That's that's two thousand eight to two thousand twelve. Yeah. They they dubbed it a tan democracy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You know. Um, so you know, and and pretty much everything I read was saying, Putin is still president. Yeah. Um, during In this time period, he's making all the decisions. Yeah. It's, it's literally like they swap titles. Yeah. That was essentially what happened. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, so during that time, um, Obama is president of America and he yeah. sends Hillary Clinton as secretary of state to Russia mm-hmm. and she gives Medvedev a reset button. She's like, like literally says, we want to give you. Yeah. A great. You know, let's reset relations. Yeah. With Russia, we want to be friends. We want to, you know, yeah. make things better, etc. Uh, and and Putin then starts spouting <laughs> conspiracy theories about right. um, Clinton. Yeah. Um, and about what they're trying to do. Yeah. The fact that that Russia is under attack from the mm. West is being weakened by the West. Yeah. Um, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of people talk about the idea that yes yeah, yeah so James just got it up there is literally like she literally gives Medvedev a reset it's button or is it, sorry Sergey Lavrov he, yeah. she gives Sergey Lavrov who was the foreign minister um, what a photo op hey yeah <laughs> pressing a big it's red a button literal but everyone's reset button. smiling <laughs> yeah um, oh dear yeah yeah um, so that was two thousand nine that was two thousand nine yeah. yeah um yeah. and uh, so. And then the other thing that happens during 2008 is the global economic crisis had just yes. happened as well. Yeah. And Russia's not doing great economically mm. during yeah. this time period. Um, and so um, at the United Russia Congress in 2011, Medvedev officially proposes that Putin should stand for the presidency in 2012 mm-hmm. um, and that they should change, change the constitution to allow it. To yeah. allow it. Yeah. Um, and most people you know, see that as the, the, the time in which um, Putin's hold on absolute power in Russia yeah. was solidified. Yeah. Um, it, you know, th- there's been, there'd been questions about how he won his second presidential term. Mm. Um, well, obviously. Questions <laughs> about how Medvedev won his term. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of when we get to his third presidential term, um, he's voted in in the first round with sixty three percent of the mm, vote, mm. Um, 
but um, it's it's also sixty three point um, six. James is pointing out right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, but they, there's still accusations that they even even that, even with like even that was rigged. <laughs> like well, they tried to rig it, and they still and could, they still, they still only got sixty three percent. Well, I mean, if you're gonna rig a vote. You probably, yeah, you I mean, if you want to rig it legitimately, obvious, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> if I was going to do it, that's how I would do it. Yeah, and um, so it's then during his third presidential term that we get um, a real change in what Putin is mm. doing internationally. Well, like, I mean, it all this all starts to align now with um, 2014 and yeah. the invasion of Crimea. And so, yeah, so a lot of people are saying Putin was playing the long game. Yeah. Right? He's playing the long game of bringing the mistakes of the Yeltsin presidency yeah. back. Into line, yeah. Um, you know, so he saw, he definitely saw the, the separation of Russia and Ukraine as, as an a, affront. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, especially if you think on, you know, things like his admiration of Stalin or mm. like um, mm. the way or that Or even he, his admiration of the early, early years, like the very early years of Russia and how close Ukraine and yeah, Russia have always been. Always been, that's historically right. Historically and yeah. culturally. Um, yeah. Yes, that's mm. right. Mm. Um, and so, you know, um, he, he he cracks down on all sorts of stuff mm. during this term. This is the one he cracks down on. Um, there's the... Um, the Russian gay propaganda law comes mm. into effect in this, this time period. Pussy riot. Yes, there. that's right. Yes. <laughs> Their height. Um, Love those girls. Yeah, and uh, he, um, th- like, he starts doing um, things to make Russia look sane and stable on the international stage, while mm. also trying to do. So this is when you know they bid for the Olympic, the mm. Winter Olympics, mm. uh, and they get that in 2014. That's Sochi. Yeah. Yeah. They get the World Cup. Yep. 2018. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, um, they're, they're trying to make it look like Russia's nothing, great nothing and welcoming. Nothing to see come, here, folks. You know, yeah. Come, come yeah. to Russia. Yeah. You know. Um, but I have friends who travelled through Russia. Yeah. You know, like who were really into like uh, one of them's learning like Russian language and wanted and you know, mm. got the train, went to it like. All over the place. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I'm sure it is. Which, yeah. Th- yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, but, um, yeah, so he uh, he then um, he then decides that it's time to strike. Now, there's lots of mm. people who talk about um, did he have an end game in mind before we get to this point, right? Because he was, like, he was getting older by this point yeah right so 20 like when we get to his third presidential term mm. um in 2012 2013 yeah um you know he's he's getting into his 60s yeah um and i remember listening to things back then about whether or not he was thinking long term how 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 much longer can he hold Sustain, on to power yeah. and yeah. can he achieve his goals within the next couple of terms yeah. right what what was he going to do? Okay. Um, and so people then were like, well, okay, Chechnya, sure. Yeah. Um, it, will he make a play for Crimea? Will he make a play mm. for some, like, you know, will will he bring Belarus Georgia? into into the fold? Georgia. Yeah. There, there were, there were you know, ideas about what what's he going to do. Mm. Um, but most people were, were of the opinion that he wouldn't do Ukraine because um, Ukraine at the time – had been promised in the 90s that they would be able to join NATO. Right. And we know Putin was really angry about that. Yeah. Right. He has a big yeah. thing against NATO yeah. um, essentially because um, he sees it as a an alliance system that is just 
basically geared towards Anti-Russia. getting rid of Russia, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's kind of not wrong. <laughs> he's kind of not wrong. Yes. Um, it was originally created out of World War Two as a... A bulwark. A bulwark yeah. against... Russia yeah. at the time, yeah. um, and and, and a lot her of allies. And, and those things don't change overnight no, either. And no. and during the eighties and nineties, when Russia is in its decline, mm. they try and figure out what they're going to do with NATO because they don't want to yeah. get rid of it. Yeah, and the NATO aligned countries are like, well, can we like, what if we become like an economic kind of treaty as well, or yeah. what if we kind of you know do some yeah. other things and and help. Yeah. Um, neighboring nations in in Europe get better, mm. um, and so they they they, they try to do that kind of thing. As yeah. but everyone knows they're there, they're there against yeah. yeah Russian. But I th- forces, I, I right? think this is you know if we're getting into the um, invasion of Ukraine, yep. it's one of his biggest things that he underestimated was the will of NATO. Yes. Um, yes. I think he thought that they he they wouldn't put up a fight to the extent that they did. Yeah. Or, yeah. or they like they wouldn't move to help he, Ukraine to the extent. He definitely that they did. didn't think that NATO would get themselves involved because they would be too scared that it would be an all-out yeah. conflict war against yeah. Russia, right? Yeah. Um. And so he made. Yeah, that was a gamble mm. that he mm. that he made and lost. Um. He he definitely lost that mm. gamble. So prior to this, Ukraine. Um, you know, actually, let's talk a little bit about Zelensky, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, do we like even 2014? I think we should just talk about quickly. Oh, sure, so sure. 2014, sure. like the annexation of Crimea, and the big event um, that is uh, resonant here in Australia is shooting down of MH17. Yes. So these events happened, um, and not much happened in response. And do you think that mm. was a mistake? Now. <laughs> I put you on the spot all the time, don't I? <laughs> I think. Or, you know, it was we definitely like, uh, I'm trying to think back now. We responded quite forcefully. I remember th- this was the time when Abbott was like, I'm going to, going to go oh, over there and shirt front him. For international listeners, a shirt front is a tackle in AFL football. Um, <laughs> Sport ball. And, and it was, uh, and it was hilarious here in Australia at the time when he said it. Like it was. at the time people were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe it's been taken out of context and he was much more, um, you know, uh, prime ministerial in the other things Possibly. that he said. I think, um, but that's all that we, we were like. On. We were rightfully angry oh, about definitely. what happened. Okay, so the MH17. Can you look up how many Australians were on that plane for us? Um, yeah. So if you don't remember, MH17 was a plane that was was shot down over Ukraine. over Ukraine, um, and and it was at the time um, they were called the Little Green Men. Um, mm. Putin's little green men mm. who were people going into Crimea yeah. um, dressed in green mm. that had no affiliation logos With on any, them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were obviously backed Russians. by Russia, yeah. had Russian weapons, yeah. which a Russian weapon is what brought down yes. MH17. So I remember it even it took ages to admit that it had been shot down and it wasn't some yes. kind of accident. Yes. And then it took even longer to figure out that it was Russia. Yeah. Took, and I also remember years. because it was a because it was an active war zone too, it was like, oh, can we even get investigators in there? And yeah. it took them ages to get yeah. UN investigators and in. Russia and Russia still hasn't taken responsibility. No, they haven't. No. 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 Um, so, yeah, um, I remember the there were like 
a family of three kids flying with their grandpa, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and oh, it's yeah. just so sad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that happened in 27, sorry, 2014. Yes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, a lot of vocal condemnation. Yeah, there was. Was there anything else? No, there wasn't really. I think um, the big thing was, like, it was us. Like, it was us and Sweden. Was that the other major? Who investigated. Yeah, because there was, like, yeah. it was a... Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of... I think it was Sweden. James, check for me. Um, yeah, mm. it was on its way from Amsterdam. That's right. So there's uh, so there's a lot of um, people from the Netherlands. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So it was a joint Dutch... Yeah. It was a joint Dutch-Australian yeah. investigation. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, now I'm remembering. Us and the Dutch. So we... And, and like, because it was just us and we're mm. like... Come on, everyone. Hey, else. everyone. Can everyone else please get angry about this? I remember this? There, were, there were talks about, like, can we take them to the Hague? Can yes, we, like, yes. are there, like, what, are, what, what, what can we do? Yeah. But there really wasn't anything because, you know, it was just like sovereign they nations. Wouldn't, they wouldn't take Sorry. responsibility. So, um, yeah. And, um, you know, it's not like the Dutch and the Australians are going to go to war <laughs> against Russia. Yes. Um, and I understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, like, if we look at that now in the context of what's happened, it would have been good. Was the writing on the wall, or ah, uh, well, I mean, they, I mean, they were invading Ukraine yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and just kind of annexed. And and was there it. wasn't like you know everyone around the world was like, "Come on, guys, mm. you're invading Ukraine," and Russia's yeah. like, "No, we're not." And, <laughs> and like that was basically it. And we're yeah. all like, "Okay, yeah, yeah." Um, and we did kind of just let it happen. Yeah, and he, I, um, I feel like he was very much testing the West. He was. Limits. He was definitely testing. And I think. Uh, Found found them favorable. He also found well, yeah. So he found the loophole where he's like, yeah. okay, so if we take the really Russian speaking places, yeah, and be like, oh, it's Russian yeah, rebels, Rush, oh. yeah. yeah, um, then then you know that's yeah, that's the way to do it, I mm, guess. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, there's that, and then then they also um, they're on the other side of the Syrian conflict too, around the same time. So like, yes. Um, Yes. When we go into Syria as an international force, yeah. we're in there trying to get rid of Bashar al-Assad, yeah. whereas Russia, Russia props him is, up. Yeah. Um, and mm. that there was fears then too, I remember, about, you know, well, there's NATO air forces um, in Syria. There's mm. Russian air forces in Syria. Mm. Is this a proxy war? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that, there was that going on as mm. well. Mm. Um, and so I think with all that going on, um, we get Zelensky come into the frame. Um, who? Okay, our so man, just quickly, I our just, man Vladimir. Well, I just want I just want to talk quickly. So, Zelen- if you if you don't know much about Zelensky, this is he's this is such I, an interesting I find this guy. I find this story so fun. So he's a comedian. Yeah. He's a comedian. Yes, he's a comedian and an actor. Yep. Who was on a TV show um, that was called Servant of the People, mm-hmm. um, in which he plays a teacher. Yeah. Who accidentally becomes president of Ukraine. <laughs> just too good it's a great premise it's so good um i've seen a couple of episodes it's a yeah. very strange well, sitcom. I guess, yeah a um, lot probably gets lost in translation if you okay. if you uh, used it was on sbs like was the that? complete series was on sbs you could watch oh, it on okay. sbs on All demand right. cool. um i don't know if it's still on there yeah um but um um it was very um a lot of people were like he's very 
like in the show, his character is very Trumpy. Like it's very like, you know, <laughs> okay. like yeah. and populist and like you know, yeah. like looks, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was a comedy, so that well, kind of that's makes sense. it. And he's like, guys, um, this isn't my actual, uh, you know, uh, agenda for if yeah. I were to actually be president. <laughs> but during during that time, um, so Poroshenko was president of Ukraine, mm-hmm. and he was like, hey guys, let's go back to Russia. My friend Vladimir Putin is great, and let's mm. let's 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 link up back up with yeah. with Russia. And everyone was like, "I'm sorry, Which, what? No, yeah." Um, and there were a bunch of protests in Ukraine, mm. and there was like, you know, and and the whole annexation of Crimea, and the, all this mm. stuff is going on, and everyone's like, like, yeah, like so all the Ukrainians, like, no, yes, that's not what we want. And so that's when Zelensky decides to run. To actually run for president? Uh, yeah. With a party that he creates called Servant of the People. <laughs> I mean, if I was Ukrainian, I would vote for that. <laughs> well, um, and, and he is, he's elected fairly, mm. fairly well, I think. He clearly wins it, doesn't he? I think if I, uh, clearly wins the first round. Um, 73% of the vote. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty, because he runs on a platform of, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he grows up in a in a Ukraine where they'd been promised entry into NATO and yes. they'd been, you know He's not that much older than us, is he? No, he's not. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so, you know, Ukraine at the time were like so NATO promises entry in the nineties to yep. Ukraine and there's another country around that I can't remember Finland? exactly. Uh, maybe. Mm. Um and I'm speculating wildly <laughs> as I <laughs> want to do. And um <laughs> One of the one of the things they were like is uh, Ukraine. If you want to join, you mm. need to do three things. There was um, get rid of your corruption. Right. There was um, make sure your armed forces are better. Yep. And there <laughs> you don't was, want a liability. Yeah. And there was <laughs> we want you to get rid of your um, your nuclear weapons. Okay. So they do the nuclear weapon thing first. Yeah. Right. That's the easy one. They're right? like, let's get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need yeah. them. We don't want a war with a nuclear war with Russia. No, because we will never be able to win that. Let's get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and then we're one step closer to NATO. Great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, apparently, at the minute, there's a lot of old kind of Ukrainian government ministers who are like, man, we should Wish hold we really on to had those, those nukes. nukes. <laughs> <laughs> no. It could no. have been. It could have been much less of a chance. Uh, anyway. No, um, could have made things a lot worse too. But then since then, you know, they had been kind of cleaning up their corruption mm, stuff mm. since Zelensky took power, really cleaned up yep. the corruption. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like I've seen a lot of things with Zelensky like saying, I mean, what more do we need to do, NATO? Mm. Like we're just we're, yeah. like you keep saying, yes, we, yeah. we, we want to support you. Yeah. But then you don't show it. Yeah. And, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, just you've got to get better, better military and like yeah. you've still got a bit of corruption. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, nah, that's crap. Come You're on. full of crap. <laughs> it is literally because you don't want a war with it's Russia. It's like giving an essay to a kid with a 19 out of 20. It's like, what have I got to do to get the 20? Yeah. Ah, there's a full stop there that you missed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's uh I remember because um when when the war first started, um and there was this meme going around, which is how I get all of my historical understanding. Oh yes. Um but it was like, wake up, get coffee, check on Vladimir Zelensky. <laughs> <laughs> um, because he everyone expected him to leave Kiev. Yeah. And he did not. And he, uh, his family stayed too. Everyone expected his family um, to evacuate. Um, and he was like, no, I am the leader of this country. My family is my family and, and they're going to stay. Um, and so, yeah, 
it's um it was very impressive leadership. I think it's one of those examples where um you know it's the circumstances that a person finds themselves in that really makes yep. who you are yep. um, as a leader. So yep. mm. so we're we're at the point now, I think, yes. where we're going to talk about the actual invasion. So, yes. um, I read I read an article. Um, uh, you know, um, what what does what does Putin want? What does Russia want mm. in Euro- Ukraine? Um, and uh, you know, essentially, it was what we've been saying, which is, um, you know, he wants to reestablish um, the Russian Empire, be it. The USSR or mm. the Tsarist regime. Yeah, I, th- I don't think Putin cares. He yeah. wants he wants a Russian Empire again. Yeah. Um, but also he a lot of people think that he, he also um, wants his own people to love him again, and mm. he sees this as a way of doing that. Which yeah. seems to have gone poorly for him. Yeah, possibly. Um, um, and so you know he he looks back at beloved leaders. And, and, you know, I guess mm. the ones that we talked about earlier, mm. like they were the ones that were in charge of empires mm. of mm. Russia, yes, you know. Yes, they were. Um, and so... Uh, and was Stalin beloved? He was forcibly beloved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beloved me or die. Um, like, I love you, Stalin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, then, and then the question was, well, why is he doing it now? Mm. Right. And um, most people... Most people say it's because he he perceives the West as weak yes. at the minute, right? So yes. COVID nineteen really weakened a lot of yep. what's happening in the world. Obviously, you know yep. we we all feel it mm-hmm. with supply chain issues and you know with border closures and all that stuff. We all yep. felt that, right? Yep. Um, and because of that, Putin felt like, well, if Now's I go to, if I go to war now, who's yeah. going to come? Yeah, right. Mm. Um, and he doesn't want he he didn't you know he saw Zelensky mm. as a pro Western. Um, you know, uh, modernizer who yep. is going to completely change Ukraine into a Western-loving country. Yeah, and so I think he probably also saw him as a joke. Like you are a I former think at first, actor. I think at first yeah, he probably like, did, and then and now, then he realized. Yeah, actually, he was like, you will crumble. You will buckle at the first sign of of difficulty, yep, which he didn't. Um, no, he did not. <laughs> um, and so you know, he. Uh, I think he made the the gamble that will. I need to get rid of Zelensky, and if I can mm. get rid of him mm. by doing this special military operation mm. and and forcing Ukraine to crumble, yeah, and we can get some sort of puppet leader in Ukraine, yeah, again, and then it'll, yeah, it, things Happy will be better, days. right? Yeah, um, and so you know, he, he also he didn't want, he doesn't want Zelensky to to get that goal of yes. joining NATO, yes, um, and so again, he, like he's doing these methods of you know calling them. Neo Nazis and I was going to say the Nazification uh, of Ukraine sort yeah. of line is a really interesting. It's one, bizarre. It's it's so strange. Bizarre. But for me, it's like that is a fundamental example of propaganda where you just take the most outrageous um, claim and repeat it over and over and over and over until people start to believe it. Yep. Um, and there's there's not a grain of truth to it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Which you know the essence of propaganda. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm. Um. So yeah, I think uh, we're we're pretty much there. But yeah, um, we've we've got a special yes. end to this episode, okay, Siobhan. Yes. yes, we do. Um. So um, Siobhan, tell us who Natasha is. Okay. So Natasha is a uh, friend who is Russian who has been living in Australia. Um. For how long did you say? 
it's 10 years. Yeah. It's even, yeah, probably even longer. Um, but yeah, she uh, recently went on a trip to Russia to visit her family and so has some amazing insight on um, what Russians are thinking, how they're feeling, what they're experiencing at the moment. And so we have interviewed her and um, just some incredible insights. Yeah. Mm. And we want to thank her very much for. Um, for being brave, it, yeah. I think it's brave yeah. um, to do what she has done um, and and speak up about what she has witnessed. Yep. So here's our interview. Mm. Right, so uh, we have a very exciting addition to this episode today. Um, a let's say friend of the show <laughs> has agreed to come and speak to us um, because she is able to offer unique insight to uh, the Russian perspective of this conflict. Um, we're going to call her Natasha, but that's not her real name. Um, so welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate um, this this insight that you're going to give us and mm, um, acknowledge mm. that it's not without its risks. Yeah. So. Thank you so much for that. We're just going to start. Um, can you just tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, it's interesting how you mentioned about the Russian perspective uh, because um, it's hard for me really to offer what is Russian perspective because I haven't lived in Russia for a long time now. Mm. So I left the country in 2009 and um, um, most of my <laughs> most of my time lives uh, now 11 years in Australia. So for me, it was. It probably will be hard to give like a true uh, from 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 what my opinion is to mm. opinion of uh, Russians. However, I've recently visited um, I visited Russia, and uh, it was the first time since pandemic started and since um, um, this conflict started uh, that I that I that I visited the country, and um, it was nice to see what real people in Russia think. And um, mm. number one thing that everyone was telling me is like, can you please explain in Australia that we don't want this? And right. it's just, we can't do anything about it. Yeah. And um, um, the saddest thing I would say probably um, that I'm not always um, fully understood is when you lose a democracy, it's a slow process that, people sometimes don't notice because mm. it's like small step here, small step here, small step here. Yeah. And that process started as soon as Putin um, got his power. Mm. So he step by step was taking away the democracy and um, um, was eroding the democratic uh, protection that would prevent something like this from happening. Mm. And by the time this war uh, broke out, people were so shocked uh, 52 cities came out and protested yeah. uh, yeah. and uh, wanted to stop it. Yeah. However, um, by that time, there was a National Guard that was able to beat them up, um, threaten them, stop the protest. There was uh, prevention laws that would prevent people from going and protest without getting uh, government approval. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so in... And then, in within one week of um, of this war breaking up, there were one after one uh, new laws taken that will make it illegal to call it a war. It's supposed yes. to be a special military operation yes. yeah. that will make it illegal um, to 
um, to say something about um, about Russian military and what they do in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And if you do, and they call it a law about the discreditation of um, the Russian army, you can go to jail for a few years. Mm-hmm. It's not just a fine. It's an actual jail sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, then within one week, um, the independent media was banned. All the uh, independent um, news agents had to flee Russia. Yeah. Like um, uh, there was a Radio Rain, there was a few Medusa, and a few others that were like real voice for people to hear what's what's really going on. Yeah. Um, uh, there are channels that um, on YouTube channels where people get the real information. They also um, had to um, be now called foreign agents. Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. they so, are not. So, did, um, did a lot of those people flee in, in, flee in Russia so that they could report from outside, or or are they there and they're just going under a different name or something? They had to uh, leave because mm. uh, they could uh, they could have faced a uh, jail sentence for discreditation of Russian army, according yeah. to the new law. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because so, like a lot of a lot of the. Russian media obviously is state controlled, isn't it? So, um, so people, you, what you were saying there, people aren't really um, that they they kind of understand that idea that that the the media is controlled by the government. Is that is that kind of a common perception? So um, there is an official uh, media on TV. Yes. Uh, what Russian call Rus- Russian people call zombie box. Okay. <laughs> um, and, so yeah, I think they understand. And, <laughs> and uh, there is um, um, independent media on YouTube. So YouTube in Russia is more than YouTube. Mm. So it's full of um, uh, um, media channels um, that are uh, that really deliver uh, the the real news. Mm. And uh, what we call it, uh, Russian Russian people pretty much crowdfund everything independently of government because they don't rely on their government. Mm. When it comes to helping kids with cancer, it's crowdfunded. Um, and uh, when it uh, and based on donations, when it comes to our independent media or our um, uh, we, we crowdfund it or and support it for YouTube. Uh, when it comes to um, the opposition leader like Navalny, he was working based on crowdfunding platforms. Mm. Yeah, well. So Russians crowdfund everything because unfortunately government does not support it. So people know what's going on. And even when Instagram was banned, and right now everyone is using uh, VPN so they can still <laughs> use in, in Instagram. To the point, it's like it's almost a form of protest uh, mm. that like, yeah. We don't care what you say. We're going to still use it. Mm. Um, we, like when I was back um, in Russia in September, uh, even restaurants saying like, oh, can you tag us in Instagram? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so it's banned in the country, but people still advertise it or like tag us on Instagram. And wow. yeah, it's um, having access to these platforms is so vital to mm. yeah, yeah. keep freedom of speech um, because it doesn't exist in um, in regular TV channels. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So is um, Navalny still like around and and um, vocal at the moment in Russia? What's he up to? So okay, so after uh, the the whole um, preparation for this military operation um, started uh, way before. And number one thing that the, what they wanted to do is they wanted to 
prevent the opposition leaders to uh, be able to gain momentum with protests. Mm. So they started um, uh, pushing them out of the country or putting them in jail. Mm. As a part of that uh, effort, Navalny was poisoned. Mm. And uh, then he spent some time in Germany recovering. And then when he came back to Russia, he was arrested and he's currently in jail. And... um, Unfortunately, he's um, he'd been transferred to um, maximum security jail, mm. and mm. most of his time are spent in solitary confinement. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so did you um what what changes did you notice um like were the most stark changes from when you were last in Russia? Well, I think everyone is remembering. Uh, in their heart, the Russia that we wanted to see, mm. and that was the Russia of the World Cup. And mm. Um, mm. Uh, that's when lots of people from all around the world, including Australia, came to um, came to Russia. Everyone was happy, and mm. all the youngsters were like volunteering and um, trying to make sure that people are um, that people are welcome, that they're not lost, helping them out, and. Um, it's just a feeling of being accepted and being a part of the global world yeah. and being yeah. um, being being one with the rest of the world and being really happy and and just not having any animosity with any other countries, being the opposite, being like the one of the fun places to visit, being a part of the global world. That's mm. what young generations of Russians were dreaming about. That's mm. what they wanted for their con- country. And um, to see right now, um, having all the steps taken by so many, um, so many countries to shut Russia down from the outside, but then the brick wall is also built from the inside, and um, where um, the so many um, so many websites are banned. When I was there, I wasn't access. I wasn't able to access LinkedIn, Facebook, um, a lot, lot, uh, Google, Google News. So lots of things like you're trying to go and it's blocked and everyone's like, oh, you still don't have VPN. You have like, come on, just get it. I'm like, well, I'm here only just a short period of time. I probably yeah. can get away with not having it. But right. so, it's so, a crazy uh, thing to think that it's banned and lots of things, yeah. lots of opportunities that people used to have, yeah. like working for international companies yeah. um, and um, moving around. Mm. It's all disappearing from and from them, and at the same time, to think that your country is participating in something that you, as a person, will be personally embarrassed mm. for the rest of your life—it's mm. a very heavy burden. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you think it's fair to say that um, older Russians feel the same way, um, like Russians who might remember like the Soviet era and the Cold War a bit more? Russian didn't really see the Cold War as as a war um, yeah. back then because mm. um, I would I would say what 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 most Russians remember is and number one phrase that my grandma was saying they remember Second World War when it was really hard yeah, yeah. Mm. and uh, number one thing that my grandma always say any economic crisis anything political problem we can live through everything as long as there is no war Mm. and the phrase as long as there is no war is almost like 
was number one thing that what people were saying. Mm. And um, to see that the war is actually happening is it was very traumatic for yeah. lots yeah. of people. And um, and despite their political beliefs, no one wanted it. And uh, they're still terrified of. And they understand that there is no good outcome for Russia or Ukraine in this war. That yeah. yeah. doesn't matter what's going to happen next. The outcome is not good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are no winners. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so in terms of just um, like you mentioned the media and how it's all been like um, locked down and, and most people it sounds like a figure to work around, which is mm. great. <laughs> but um, like a lot of the big international corporations have been pulling out of Russia. Like was did that have a visible impact? No, I would say not yet. Um, but for example, my mom, uh, she worked for she worked for one of them. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, yeah, some people had to um, like some people lost their jobs. I would mm-hmm. say you can definitely feel that lots of people losing their jobs, mm-hmm. or some companies they offer their employees to um, move to different countries, mm-hmm. which I uh, which I think was a fantastic effort to uh, to help them out. Yeah. Um. So, but it's. It doesn't feel as strong yet. I think the full blow sanctions will be felt more in the next in the next few months, mm-hmm. like probably next six months, mm-hmm. because it takes a while for the companies, even after they decide to pull out of the country, to fully um, close all the operations and everything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. after the announcement, it probably takes a while while they're still paying their staff, while they're still. Um, um, deciding what they, how they how they're gonna do it, mm. and I would, I would probably think that in the next six months that that's when people will really feel it. Yeah. Right now, you see in the shopping malls some of the shops are being closed, but mm. apart from that, McDonald's have been renamed. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but the menu is menu is all the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's no more Coca-Cola. There's, uh, oh, no. there's a version of it. <laughs> yeah. So, has your mom been able to find another job or is she all right? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. So her, um, they still uh, run a service center that was just would be uh, run under different Russian entity. Right, uh, the right. services that the contracts that the company had, they still had to be provided. Yes. So they um, they just trans. I'm I'm not fully aware of how how it works, but the company will just have to work on the div- different legal entity. Yes. Mm, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Do you want to ask a question? Um. So. I I I've been doing a lot of like I'm I'm big um. I'm I'm a big. Uh, buff of like uh you know political leaders and things that I, like that's that's kind of like my big interest and so i've been i've been following putin for a long time um but I, I just really wanted to ask what what is what are everyday russians feeling about putin like i i get the feeling that you know at the beginning of his time in power a lot of um a lot of what people thought about him might have been that like he kind of appealed to everyone um in a different way but as it's gone along Obviously, people might be starting to see a different side of him. What what what's the feeling of everyday everyday Russians towards Putin? Well, I think um, in the beginning, the number one thing that what was a big appeal to everyone because um, before 
when Russia actually had a true democracy for 10 years, we had um, uh, President Yeltsin, yes. who was um, a, a bit of a, like, like what people felt as um, embarrassment because right. he could like get drunk with Bill right. Clinton, do, do something <laughs> silly in front of the camera. Yep. And um, at the same time, at the end of the, uh, after the shift of the regime, there were a lot of criminal, um, criminal activity. Uh, there's a lot of criminal activity that um, didn't exist before. And Putin kind of with a help to, a lot of racketeering that existed at that time mm-hmm. and that uh, that's what brought in a lot of popularity at that time yeah. however what uh, I saw from the very beginning is that he's trying to take away uh, democra- uh, some of the really important democratic mm-hmm. um, uh, institutions yep. so for example the election of the governors yep. Um, yep. or um, when uh, when when he changed the way um, our parliament works, when he became prime minister yes. and, and made Medvedev a president, yes. when they changed the constitution, for me that was a huge red flag. And yes. like, you can't touch the constitution. This is like this is not a common law. This is something that is there to protect against exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very clear to see that he's not going to give up his power, and everything mm. that he's doing is to hold the power and get a better grip mm. and um, especially arrest of Karakovsky and lots of things that he was doing was very alarming from the very beginning. Yeah. Some people didn't see it, um, but for me and my close friends, that was clear sign that the democracy is is disappearing mm. and uh, we probably... We, as my, as my friend said, like um, uh, he said, like with clear conscience, I don't want to be a part of authoritarian regime. And he migrated to um, uh, to Ireland right. um, because he just didn't yeah. want to be a part of it. And unfortunately, yeah. be- you can you can see that uh, people right now there are massive queues on on the borders because yeah, yeah. you probably heard about the announcement of um, people being conscripted yes, uh, yes. forcefully. Mm. And uh, yeah, people people trying to escape the country, and then it's it's long term consequences of this is uh, you you can't even imagine like some people being conscripted, some men are going to be permanently gone to different countries. Mm-hmm. What's going to be left yeah. of the did, country? Did that announcement happen while you were over there, or has that happened since? No. Um, so I was back on the fifteenth. The announcement mm. came exactly a week later. Right. Yeah. Yeah, was that and um, your friend's reasons for going to Ireland? Was that part of your reasons for coming to Australia? Um, I, I I left I left earlier um, mm-hmm. because my friend he also like he left after 2014 after right. annexation of Crimea. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, for him that was uh, that was that was a big turning turning point, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, I think for me um, I. Be, be, living in the d- democratic society is the greatest privilege, and mm. um, I, I really appreciate what Australia gives to me as a new homeland. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm, I have a have an, uh, <laughs> an American husband and an Australian child. So <laughs> very <laughs> the picture really... of modern Australia. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I think we, we've taken up quite a lot of your we time, have. but I just wanted to ask. Um, so, given the risks, what made you say yes to to coming on the podcast today? 
Well, when I was in Russia, number one thing that everyone was um, telling me is, um, can you please tell everyone that we don't want this, but mm. we are right now in a situation that we're risking a lengthy jail sentence if we say something. Yeah. So we don't want this. We just can't do anything about it. And I think, um, and we're not the brainless zombies who believe all the propaganda. Mm. Like uh, I think some media uh, tend to think of Russians, but they don't understand what's going on. They do. Mm. But unfortunately, they also understand what are the consequences of going and protest. Like women in Chechnya, they did it. And then the first thing that happened, their husbands and sons were taken and conscripted um, straight away as a punishment. Yeah, um, yeah. People in um, um, in Moscow, St. Petersburg, they, they went in protest and those who protest were conscripted immediately um, while they were in detention. Mm. Yeah. So unfortunately, or, and unfortunately, the jail sentence for those protesting is also up to 10 to 15 years right now. So it's, um, it's, a long it's, time. Not, yeah. it's not a very... It's not a very easy choice to go and protest when you know no. you can get a sentence like that. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's uh, because we've, you know, we see the footage of the protesters um, on the news and um, it's it's so incredibly brave watching those people. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember the footage of the old lady. There was an old lady in Moscow who was out protesting um, and was very, like, roughly handled by the police there. So, I, like, I, I, I don't know about... Daniel, but mm. I, I don't think that I think of the Russians as like mindless zombies. Just for, no, like, I, 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 no. I, they're incredibly repressed, and you know, and and yeah. like I, I love the point that you raised about um, how traumatic this is for anyone who's a bit older who has a memory of World War Two. Yeah, um, there's no way that it could be something that the Russian people want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but um, I we really appreciate you we sure coming and yeah, thank and you so much to us, um, and offering that really um, awesome insight. Well, thank you for having me, guys. And, um, yeah, really, um, really appreciate uh, you um, you bringing this topic um, during the hard times for, for especially for Ukraine and, um, and, and, and Russia. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Thanks, Natasha. Thanks, Natasha. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, um, that was really fascinating. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the program, Natasha. We really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Yes, thank um, you again. So, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's how, how it came, came to, to this. this. As always, you can catch us by email. How did it come to this podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook at HDICTT Podcast. If you like the show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review if you can. How Did It Come To This is written by Daniel Matters and Siobhan Doherty. Our producer is James Tuckwell, edited by Daniel Matters, original music by Lachlan McWhirter. Oh, I had a really blonde moment. Um, oh, I was at the bowling... No bowling club the golf anyway at a club with my dad watching the swans game oh yeah and, and like i knew the swans and the cats were playing i was like woohoo uh, but then i was i was like oh so who's in who's the other team that's made it to the grand final <laughs> and they were like this is the grand final siobhan and i was like
Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, I was so busy concentrating on who was playing and being very proud of myself for knowing that. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> was it was like, a very sad oh. day. My sister, my sister was like, "What you think? Temper trap? Just play at the halftime of all the games?" I was like, "I didn't even put that together." To be honest, I was Not like, <laughs> "I was really oh far out." No, we sucked. The Swans sucked. According Absolutely to the banter sucked. of the people around me, they just didn't even show up. Yeah, it was terrible. Like it was <laughs> it, like we played horribly. Yeah, considering the way we played the week before, yeah, I'm, I was very disappointed. Yeah. Uh, they they won. They by got like, to fifty. They won we by like excited. eighty points. Yeah, <laughs> this one's got to fifty. That's a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, it's a lot in sports balls, <laughs> sports James. Balls. Yes, sports yeah. ball. I know. I feel like James and I know about the same amount. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> 